Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. And I want to welcome everyone. My name is David. I serve as uh, one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to gather, uh, whether we're here in person or our family and friends uh, gathered online. Uh, we are continuing in our series through the book of Acts. Uh, this morning, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 15, and we really want to focus in on the outpouring of unity. And so if you've been following along with us on our journey through Acts, we are at the halfway point, and this is a pivotal chapter. It was a British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, uh, to the General Assembly of the Church in Scotland. They were having a conversation as it relates to meetings and whether or not uh, democracy or majority rule was appropriate. And she made this statement. She said, ideally, when Christians meet as Christians to take counsel together, their purpose is not or should not be to ascertain what is the mind of the majority, but instead it should be to find out what is the mind of the Holy Spirit. So as we jump into Acts chapter 15, one of the things we're going to see is going to be a big church meeting. And the question is, is it going to be majority rule going to speak and guide the church? And so we'll be reading from Acts chapter 15. I'll read the first 11 verses. They will be on the screen behind. Uh, And in the event that you notice that what I'm reading is different from what's on the screen, uh, I'm using a different Bible today. I couldn't find my good old ESV. So I'm using the good old CSB. Uh, So uh, if for whatever reason you get lost, we're in the same passage. Acts chapter 15, the first 11 verses, it reads as follows. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, verse 11, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. This is God's word. Uh, Let's pray together. 
And so, Lord, we look to you this morning uh, with our hearts, uh, uh, the attention of our hearts focused on you. Oh, Lord, would you help us see Christ? And in so doing, would you bind us together in a court of unity and love? And so may we uh, break free uh, from the very things that may make us misunderstand what it is you're doing. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 15 is one of the most pivotal is in the New Testament. This is an important story because if not handled properly, this could have been the end of the church as we knew it. The, the movement of God as read through Acts 1 through 14 would have stopped and it really would have became just another sect of Judaism. All the wonderful stuff we read about Paul and Barnabas in chapters 13 and 14 and the missionary journeys they're on would have been destroyed if the people had not handled this moment correctly under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Most of us, if not all of us in this room, are, would have, are considered Gentiles, and we would not be gathered in this place today if not for Acts chapter 15. And so Paul and Barnabas started this journey in chapter 3, planting churches, raising up leaders. The Spirit of God is on the move. They are sharing testimony, as Jacob just did, of God's miraculous move. Just think about how you felt as Jacob shared the testimony of what God had done in his father's life. That's great. That's an encouragement to us. And we're like, yay, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. We, we are celebratory. I remember we clapped our hands. We sang because it's good to hear what God is doing. On this missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, they, they, they are persecuted, and they now find back home in Antioch, and they are doing the same thing. They are sharing testimony of what God has done. Think about the excitement of the people in Antioch as they hear the mighty moves of God. Think about how thrilled they would have been as they listened to story after story of what God was doing. But unfortunately, when you get to Acts chapter 15, the mood changes. We go from excitement to people coming in and wrongly applying the law. And because they misunderstand the law in the context of this gathering, there's going to be confusion centering around the gospel. There's gospel confusion. And because there's gospel confusion, there is a need to clarify what the gospel is. And once there is gospel clarity, what we're going to see in Acts chapter 15 is an outpouring of gospel unity. So as we unpack Acts chapter 15, we're going to look at gospel confusion, how, the, how it was confused, uh, how people were confused by what the gospel actually said. We're going to see how they brought clarity to the gospel. And lastly, we're going to see how they came together and were unified. That's so where do we see confusion concerning the gospel in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. It says, but some men came down from Judea. And we're teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. I mean, think about this. They're in this celebratory move. God has been on the move. They're excited about what Jesus is doing. And so they said, stop, stop all the clapping. Unless you guys are circumcised, forget it. You're not saved. They look at what is the obvious blessing of the Lord, and they somehow dull the whole moment. How many of us have experienced that? You're on a roll. Things are just going well, and you begin to share that with friends, 
and they don't share in that excitement. It's like they just, they just rain on your parade. It's like a, a child coming home and they say, mom, mom, dad, I, I got straight A's. And like, that's great. Go clean your room. It's like you, 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 you're not seeing what is going on. And so in the middle of this enthusiasm and excitement, so people come down from Jerusalem and they take the joy out of that moment. They look at a Gentile gathering of believers and they say, something is wrong. They say they have to be circumcised in order to be part of the body. Think about the ramifications of that. We're talking about in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to gather for our Gospel for Life sessions. We'll be equipping you to be a disciple that makes this. And on that fifth week, we're going to gather for a conversation for anyone who desires membership. Can you imagine that membership class say, by the way, if you want to be a member in the body of Jesus Christ, we got to circumcise all the males. How many of you signing up? You'd be like, uh, <laughs> no way. But that's literally what is happening. Because in the Jewish tradition, there was a century-old covenant between God and his people. And it was solidified by circumcising every male child on the eighth day. And this physical symbol reminded the people of the bond they had as the people chosen by the Lord. This was their life. This is what they knew to be normal. But I think all of us would agree that change is difficult, isn't it? When, when all your life you've been doing something and, and that something seems normal to you, anytime you find yourself uh, around people that don't quite act the way you do, it creates tension, it creates unease. And you add that context to the church. So many of us that have grown up to the church, there's a, what we would call a normal way church should go, things that we do, things that we did. And when we begin to get around other believers and they don't do the same thing, we tend to wonder, is this right or is this wrong? And so what these gentlemen were saying is that if the Gentiles were going to come into the church and be part of the movement of the people of God, they would have to do just as the Jewish nation had done. They would, in essence, have to become Jews. They would have to strip themselves of their identity and of their culture and become Jews first and then come to the faith. Maybe you're here and maybe you feel the same tension. Maybe you're wondering, do, do I have to lose who I am to come to faith? Maybe you feel like there's a bunch of other things I have to do to, quote, fit in. See, the Gentiles were still viewed as outsiders looking in. And the gentlemen from Jerusalem were saying, man, if you don't do these things, forget about saying you belong to Jesus. Or maybe we're here and our problem isn't, you know, circumstances. Maybe our problem is, is what I'm doing good enough? I believe in Jesus, but is it enough? What else can I do? And if it's not other people telling us to do these things, maybe there's things deep down locked in our hearts to say, if you just do these things. And so many of us have created those things. If I come to church, then God will be happy to me. If I have the right amount of money, then God will be pleased with me. If I, if I do these things, then maybe it's enough. Well, Paul hears this. And did you read what happened? 
Verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. When Paul hears what they're teaching, this idea that you're not saved unless you're circumcised, Paul is upset. And they get into a major argument. And the argument is serious enough that Paul and Barnabas now have to go to Jerusalem to figure out what do we got to do. Because we don't figure this out, there's always going to be this tension. Do we need to be circumcised in order to be saved, or is there another way? And so they are journeying to Jerusalem on their way, again, testifying to what God is doing. You read in Acts chapter 15 that they're welcomed by the apostles and the elders. Things are going great. And then it changes once again in verse 5. Verse 5 says, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, verse 7, and after there had been much debate. And so again, this, this thing is brewing. There is confusion as it relates to what does the gospel do? What is the gospel? In so much so Acts chapter 15 is known as the Jerusalem Council. People gather together, and not only did they have strong arguments earlier in verse 2, we see in chapter, verse 7 that there is much debate. There is back and forth. People from the Jewish, Jewish believers are saying, you got to be circumcised. How dare you bring someone here that is not circumcised? You have the, the Gentile believers saying, man, we, I don't know about all that cutting stuff. I believe in Jesus. Y'all some strange folk if you're cutting folk. And they're literally fighting over this. There are literally believers who are saying, well, yep, the gospel is great. Jesus is great. He loves us. Jesus died for us. He was buried. He rose. He is now uh, uh, seated at the right hand of God. That is all good, but you also have to do this. You better do this. You better add these things. Otherwise, you can't be saved. I mean, think about that. They're literally saying that what Jesus has accomplished on the cross is not enough. And again, before we like lambast these Pharisees and these Judaizers, that this is a long-standing cultural precedent among the Jewish people, that if you are the people of God, you get circumcised. As we said earlier, change is hard. But here, here's, here's where we get ourselves into trouble. When we blur the lines between Christianity and the cultures we come from, we tend to get ourselves in trouble. Unless we really grasp the gospel and the gospel of grace, we'll all have a tendency to look at our culture and we'll define our culture as righteousness. We'll define our culture as the gospel. Until you start acting like me and doing the things I do, I'm going to look at you and say, you're not there yet. And that's the challenge that is brewing. They misunderstood the law. The law was simply meant to be a teacher, a tutor that pointed us to our need for a Savior. But instead, they're saying, no, without uh, 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 obeying the law, you cannot be saved. See, whenever you have Jesus plus something else, whenever you have Jesus and you say, well, I also have to do this, I have to follow these things, you lose the gospel. 
When the gospel becomes Jesus plus something, it is no longer gospel, and it brings confusion to what the gospel is. And so if there's confusion, there is a need for clarity, clarifying the gospel. And the Bible says in chapter 7, after much debate, you're going to hear people begin to share their perspective. And the first person on the scene to share is Peter. Now, if you're there and you're from the Jewish population, you say, yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter, you tell them. You tell them about, they got a cut. <laughs> you laugh, but you wouldn't be laughing then. <laughs> You'd be like, Peter, I don't know what you're about to say, but be careful. And you know, Peter, he struggled with this, this cultural integration, if you will. Remember, it took a vision from the Lord three times before he would even consider sharing with Cornelius the Gentile. He sees the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles. But you read Galatians chapter 2, and he still had issues with Gentiles. You see, when Peter was with the Gentiles, he'd have no problem hanging out with them. What's up, Gentile Chris? But the moment he saw Jewish people coming... I don't know, Chris. And he would start to flip-flop. So when the Jewish people are around, I'm going to act like I don't like him, but when they're not, I'm going to, I love you. And how many of us do the same thing? We put on a show for people so that they believe us to be just like them. But when no one else is around, that's when the guards come down. It was so bad that we read in Galatians 2 that Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face. They say, Peter, by your actions, you are denying the gospel. And so Peter stands up, and friends, he is a changed man. He says in verse 10, now therefore, here's where we get clarity of the gospel. He says, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they. Peter is saying, I've seen what God is doing in the lives of the Gentiles. Please do not yoke their necks with the very things we've tried to free ourselves from in Christ. A yoke is the very thing they would uh, attach animals, oxen to, so they would, you know, plow a straight line. When you read of yokes in the Bible, it's talking about servitude. And Peter is saying, don't yoke, don't, don't add this to people's lives. It's a burden. And I wonder how build that burden. I remember when I was young in the faith, I would look at everybody else, and I figured everybody else was a super Christian, and I'm just like trying to put my one foot in front of the other. I would hear about things like quiet time and prayer and like reading the scripture, and it sounded like, man, these jokers are praying like 23 hours a day. Talked about like their, their, their knees were all bruised up, and I'm feeling bad because my knees are still working. I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm not good enough. And so I've created this burden. I, I got to do the same thing they're doing, and if I don't do it, I'm not saved. God is not pleased with me. And then I began hanging out with these folks, and we're like playing basketball or something. Like, wait a minute, we, you haven't prayed in like an hour. So I'm sitting there creating this burden, this yoke thing. I got to do these same things. Peter's saying, don't do that. We ourselves aren't able to. 
He's seen the work of the Spirit in Cornelius. He's seen the, seen the work of the Spirit in the life at the, uh, at the church at Galatia. And he's saying, the Gentiles have cleansed hearts not because of circumcision, but because of Christ. Right? So, so circumcision. What, what's the big deal about circumcision? Let's, let's quick excursion. Um, why circumcision? Why make a big deal? So in circumcising the male, they were born, they would circumcise the flesh. They were cutting off flesh as a sign of the covenant that I belong to you, God. And what they're signifying is because I'm part of this covenant community, if I break the terms of the covenant, may I be cut off in the same way this flesh has been cut off. And it's been it's a constant reminder for the people of God that don't do anything silly or you'll be cut off in the same way. And so the reason why Peter can say circumcision doesn't save you is because he saw something in Jesus Christ. What he saw was he saw Jesus himself being cut off. When Jesus was on the cross, he was cast away. He was cut off. And because he was cut off, we are now invited in. Because he was cast out, we can now be made clean in him. This is why Peter can say the Gentiles are saved by grace, not of circumcision. So the boundary that alienated people from God was sin. But salvation came through faith not through circumcision. And so Peter makes his case. And not only does Peter make his case, James makes the case when you read Acts chapter 15. James is a half-brother of Jesus. And James comes on the scene and he recognizes that God is no respecter of persons, that God does not show favoritism. Peter, uh, I'm sorry, James quotes Amos and says that God has chosen the Gentiles for himself that God can pick any person or any group to be part of his people. That's what James saw, and he says it in verse 19. James says these words, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. What is James' conclusion? He agrees with Peter. It is a gospel of grace. We can't add more to the gospel. Christ has done it. Believers are not just Jews, but all tongues, tribes, people, and nations. What James is saying is that if you're a Roman, you don't have to become culturally Jewish to come to Christ. You don't have to become culturally anything. You don't have to leave and be cult become culturally something else to come to Jesus. You come to Christ as you are. You don't lose that culture. Just don't make your culture righteousness. Don't make your culture the standard of good. Find your identity of Christ Jesus and celebrate who you are, but just don't, call, don't let that be an offense to other people. And so they're clarifying the gospel. And not only do they clarify, what we see in this passage is we see unity. We see God unity. You see, the Holy Spirit has triumphed. It's not majority rule. It's the Holy Spirit's rule. There's agreement between the apostles, the elders, and with the whole church. In the midst of this big fight, in the midst of this council, in the midst of varying opinions, they persevered or preserved the unity of the body of Christ. No one walked away. I don't think we model that well in today's culture. We are a people in which everyone wants everything done his way. 
And if it's not done this way, we leave. Right? Isn't that the world we live in? You got to agree with me. You got to do what I do. And if you don't, I'm out. And then that, that happens in the church too. And it's a scary thing. It's like if you in the church don't do things the way I do, if there's a hint of difference, if there's a hint of change, we get nervous. But you see in this passage, they don't walk away. The Holy Spirit speaks and there's unity. They sent a letter to the, the brethren in Antioch. I'll read it in verses 20, 28 and 29. It says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So there, that, that's, that's Margaret Thatcher's point. When, when, when Christians, the desire is to hear from the Holy Spirit, not to hear from the majority, because the majority can get us in trouble, and that's what they testify. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so here's the situation. This is like peace, right? It's like, <laughs> hey, look, you don't got to get circumcised. Don't mess with stuff with blood. Don't uh, anything with idols. And don't be having sex with people that ain't your wife <laughs> or your husband, right? If you do that, peace. I mean, literally, that's what they're saying. And so, so why that? I think, it's, I think it's a very powerful thing. Number one, what could have happened, because I think this, this ties it into the outpouring of unity, what could have happened is they could have said, okay, you guys are not going to get cut. We're going to get cut. You start the church with the cut people, and you start the church with the no-cut people. We have a circumcision church. We have a no-circumcision church. So in 2020, um, what are we, 2022? We would call the first Baptist church of circumcision, right? And if you don't want that church, you go to the other church. So it, it could have went two separate ways, but, but what they're doing is they're saying, we are one body. And they're saying uh, that the, the people are still going to the synagogues. They're still exposed to the Hebrew scripture. And there is this dangerous practice with idols. And so because we want you to maintain fellowship, between Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian, we want to make sure that you don't do anything that's going to be offensive to your fellow brothers and sisters, and more importantly, offensive to God. Everything doing with idols, don't get near that, and sexual morality, you better uphold that. That does not change with Scripture. He said, if you do these things, peace, we're good. Because then I can get Jewish brother and non-Jewish brother, uh, non-Jewish Christian brother, Jewish Christian brother. We can get together. We can eat a meal together and no one's feelings are going to be hurt. Because here's the thing. All of us are going to have different convictions concerning how we practice our faith. As long as we don't waver on the essentials of the gospel and the truth of Scripture, these preferences many times are okay. Right? Some people are going to be more expressive than others. Uh, some people are going to not be so expressive. Some are going to be more co contemplative. Some people, so there's variety. Just don't let your preference become an offense to someone else. Because that, that can get weird, and it strips us of the ability to be effective witnesses. Especially if we're trying to reach our friends and neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, I got a, you might be watching, I got a friend <laughs> from like 100 years ago. Okay? So, it's not you. Super Bowl Sunday. What do people watch during the Super Bowl? Not hard. They watch the Super Bowl. All right? And then someone said commercials. 
But what this brother would do is at every commercial, turn off the TV. Friends, we're going to pray today. Which is great, but again, if that's your preference, just be careful that your preference doesn't become a yoke on someone else. Because the one new in the faith might think, wow, if I watched a commercial and didn't pray, I'm no good before God. That's what we got to be careful of. So we got to be together in this one body. And so there was confusion concerning the gospel. They brought clarity, and we see an outpouring of unity. And so the beauty of this passage is that people disagreed with each other very sharply. That is okay. We're not going to agree. It's okay, right? It happens. But they preserved the integrity and the unity of the body. And don't think people went away uh, not everyone was happy. I'm sure there are people frustrated with the decision. I'm sure there are people discouraged. They must, there may have been some people greatly disturbed by the decision, but they hung in there, and the church and its power and its mission went forward because the Spirit of God. Friends, if we submit ourselves to the will of the Spirit of God, He's going to expose those areas in our lives where we fall short and we get to write, we get to be course corrected. And, he, and, and it's an encouragement. And in so doing, we preserve the unity of the body. I'm going to call the musicians up as we close out. But one of the things I want to do is just challenge us in two ways. Number one, um, we're going to pray. And I want you to just reflect and just talk to the Lord about this. Maybe you're here and maybe you are finding your righteousness, your salvation in the things you do. I'm not saying stop doing what you're doing, but if that's where your hope is in the things you do, you're going to be burnt out because you're going to constantly wonder, is what I'm doing good enough? Jesus has come to give us a yoke that is easy. And so I want to challenge you to run to him and believe the gospel, believe that God has done something in Christ Jesus. And as such, there's an invitation to you to walk in the freedom wherewith Christ has set us free. Or maybe you're here and maybe, maybe your understanding of righteousness is wrong. Maybe, maybe you need to be challenged in the areas of caution that the, the Jewish believers gave to the believers at Antioch concerning, you know, a lifestyle that would be contrary to the gospel. And so maybe we're here and we need to repent and now place our hope in Jesus. But at the end of the day, my hope and my prayer is that the Spirit of God would do such a work for us that we would be a testimony to the watching world of what unity looks like in the context of diversity. So I want to give us a few moments to pause, to consider that, and to pray, and then we'll share communion together. And so, Father, we commit these things into your hands. Father, if we're confused concerning what the gospel is, uh, may we gain clarity today. And in gaining clarity, may we be united in you. If we've done anything that is offense to you, forgive us, Lord. And may we walk in the freedom wherewith Christ has set us free. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you.